Patrick, thanks so much for looking after Courtney. Dorcia, how impressive. How on earth did you get a reservation there? Lucky, I guess. That's a wonderful suit. Don't tell me, don't tell me, let me guess. Mm, Valentino Couture. Uh-huh. Mm. looks so soft. Your compliment was sufficient, Louis. Hello, Halber Stram. Nice tie. How the hell are you? Alan has mistaken me for this dickhead Marcus Halberstram. It seems logical because Marcus also works at PNP and in fact does the same exact thing I do. He also has a penchant for Valentino's suits and Oliver Peoples' glasses. Marcus and I even go to the same barber, although I have a slightly better haircut. Lights, camera, action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I am Ross Bacon and I'm joined by my co-host Mike McGuigan. Mike, say hi. How's everyone doing? And tonight we are also joined by returning guest JR. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it's going great. You know, I felt so bad after ditching you guys the night of uh, a couple months ago. So I just I had to make a return at some point. Yeah, I don't, even re- I don't even remember what we were supposed to have you on to talk about. I think it was Spider-Man. I think it was, was Spider-Man. It? So I really admit, I, I actually was upset about missing it. Um, but I was in Vermont and there was a snowstorm and I had no service. So I was unable yeah. to join the Zoom call. That's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, glad to have you back this time. And uh so tonight we're going to be talking about uh, we're still moving on to our one actor, two performances uh, part due, and it's going to be um, the live action and animation version of Christian Bale. So we're going to talk about Howl's Moving Castle from Studio Ghibli, and then we're going to talk about um, uh, American Psycho. But before we do any of that, we have to talk about what we're drinking. So Jr., why don't you start yeah. off and get us going because you're the guest. What are you drinking, buddy? Right. Well, so I'm not feeling too great. Uh, so I decided not to drink alcohol tonight. So I am drinking Twinnings Earl Grey Steep Three Minutes Tea. Delicious, I have to say. Put a little did milk you, in there. Oof. Did you make it in the Uncle Iroh tea pot? I got I did you. not. I did not. It's in New York. I'm sorry. I am currently in New Jersey, but my teapot is in New York. <sighs> <laughs> i am sorry i you know what i will make some tea for you tomorrow i promise <laughs> all right nice mike what are you drinking all right so with american psycho i thought the most appropriate brewery bone saw brewing and their beer i went with is amputator <laughs> it's 7.9 percent uh i don't have any i got it in a crowler so i don't have much more information than that on the beer itself but i can tell you it's delicious and i'm happy to have two people to stare down while i drink out of my chalice this week drinks out of his giant fishbowl with his mickey mouse crazy straw just ridiculous it's delicious i love bone saw <laughs> yeah they're good yeah that was uh that was me last week with uh michael keaton but um this week i'm doing uh I went for, I went beer shopping like slightly before we went uh, we got on tonight to record but uh so I was kind of like limited on what I wanted I had to get something cold from the fridge uh, my liquor store but I went with Tonewood um I went with the Woodland Lager the Fodor beer now I kind of picked Tonewood because obviously I enjoy them but also Tonewood sounds like it's one of those like uh like just ridiculous upscale like new york trendy restaurants like you'd feel like yeah. call like tone wood or even like photo beer would be something like that but um and of course we all know in american psycho they go to nothing but ridiculous uh, restaurants especially dorcia although no one goes there anymore but um so that's what i'm drinking it's five percent oakland new jersey it's uh, a favorite of the of the podcast and uh it'll probably uh, drink pretty well 
so why don't we get moving when we get on to uh 2004 studio ghibli movie howl's moving castle directed by as usual Hayao miyazaki and i'm gonna let mike or jr take over from here because we're talking about so, studio ghibli and anime and that's usually when i step back so <laughs> we have three different perspectives on this movie coming in we have an anime fan who usually watches the dubs being me we have an anime fan that usually watches the subs being jr and we have someone who is not involved in the anime style at all being ross <laughs> you can just call me yeah. casual casual <laughs> but um so I guess the start, t- typical Ghibli, beautiful backgrounds, beautiful animation. What I'm going to say is Christian Bale gives a kind of subdued performance, like very subdued. Um, I don't think he does anything spectacular in this. Um, if I had to say one person in the dubbing cast that was amazing, it would be uh, Gene Simmons, <laughs> who voices uh, Grandma Sophie. Oh, <laughs> my my brain, for some reason, was thinking Gene Simmons from Kiss. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I thought the exact same thing. I agree. Okay. Wait, what's he do? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Gene Simmons didn't voice the grandma. I don't know about right. that. No, it's Deborah Gene Simmons. She was born, <laughs> she was, uh, born in 1929. Uh, she was in movies like Spartacus. <laughs> she played Ophelia in the 1948 version of Hamlet. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah. she's, she pretty, she's really Grandma good. Sophie. <laughs> yeah, she's really good. Yeah, I so I I'm 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 with Mike on the Christian Bale performance. Um does, is this normal what you guys have been doing with the uh, actors you pick a live action and an animated version or or is this just just because? This For this one the, uh, it's kind of like this is like our theme this month. Like just doing it's sort of the like we did it before. Yeah, we're just kind of doing animated and live action. Like yeah. we did Keaton, we did um, uh, Porco Rosso and Beetlejuice. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with uh, Mike. I don't think that Christian, ha- having watched, the first time I watched this movie, I watched it subtitled and Hal is a very um, flamboyant character. So it was <laughs> very surprising to me for me to hear Christian Bale just kind of doing his own voice. Right. Um, yeah. Considering the range that he has. I will say... The one scene that really made me smile is the dream sequence where he just straight up does the Batman voice. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, Mike did not like this. But I was like, (laughs) oh, I was like, holy shit, Batman's in the movie. Where did that come from? Um, I think that, I do think that um, Gene Simmons was great, but I also think that Billy Crystal was really good as um, Calcifer, just because Billy Crystal is really good at doing animated roles in general. His voice is just... You know, even though he doesn't do anything crazy to work with, you know, he's he was all he's the, the funniest part of the movie, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think he. So the three stars for me were Billy Crystal, Gene Simmons, and uh, Lauren Bacall, who voiced the Witch of the Waste. Yeah, she's good too. Yeah, I didn't like the young version of Sophie. Uh, I know the actress, and she is a good actress, but it seemed like it. It almost it felt like she was just reading her lines off of a piece of paper to me. Emily Mortimer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she is a great, she is a good actress, but I did not care for her. The one thing I didn't but it's interesting because was... you know what? To be honest, in the subtitled version, I didn't care for the voice actress of Sophie either. So okay. in both versions, I don't like the lead, the main character's voice actress. Nice. Well, I was confused as to why at one point um Sophie keeps bouncing back and forth between young and old. Like, why does she become young again at some points? Is it because they gave Emily Mortimer a paycheck, you know, so they kind of had to have her do something? 
So I think it's based off of her emotional state on how old or young she becomes. Like, I think she has to experience a certain feeling to become young again. Yeah, I actually wasn't entirely sure about this myself. I know that Howl's Moving Castle is based off of a book trilogy. And one of the things that I read um, on a Reddit post, actually like a couple minutes ago, was that the curse that the witch casts on her isn't necessarily to make her old. They always comment in the movie about, you know, the way she dresses and how she behaves. She acts like, like, you know, and even she says like, at least your clothes match, you know. I think what it is, is the curse, you know, makes her appear the way that she feels or behaves, which is why she looks so old. Uh, but then in the moments where she's doing something else, like where she like feels like love or, or when she's doing like, you know, exciting things from the third act, that's why she appears young again because that's and in her dreams she's dreaming as a like her dream she's young again which is why when she's asleep she appears young so i think that all that that curse really is is that it makes her um it makes her appearance represent the way that she behaves or the way she feels oh okay that makes sense that's what it is which i didn't i they don't that's the thing about a lot of miyazaki movies this one in particular there is no like hand holding or exposition. They just, yeah. just kind of happens, especially in this movie, which is I think why it's not one of my favorite Miyazaki movies. Um, I think I would make the argument that it might be the best looking Miyazaki movie. I think visually it's very stunning. No, that yeah, I'm 100 with you. It is a very beautiful movie. I just for me, um, it, it's never been one of my favorites. And yeah. I, I think, and when we talk, I don't know if we're going to talk about the plot of the movie or more so much as the performances. But I think that the third act is like Deus Ex Machina Paradise. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, because not only is there day, not only is there so much Deus Ex Machina, but it's not even stuff that they've really introduced early in the film, which just kind of comes out of nowhere. The like, one even, thing that I feel like, like the prince being yeah, this. well, that's a blink. If you that's a that's a blink or a you know not listen for half a second, you miss it. But in the very yeah. beginning, two bystanders say, "Hey, the prince has gone missing," and then yeah. you know if you don't hear that one line the prince thing doesn't make any sense at all right yeah i think they briefly mentioned it like what's her name madame suleiman or something i think she briefly alludes to the fact yeah, that the prince is like, gone or something yeah it's all very and that like she's kind well the main villain of the movie is war as with kind of a lot of miyazaki films it's very there's always a very anti-war message but solomon or solomon she's like kind of the primary antagonist if there was one and she hardly gets any screen time yeah, yeah. I don't, I, that i i'm with you on that I, I think that i don't know for me it's just the script of this movie is very weak compared to some of his others and yeah and i, I guess you get problem, that when you're trying to shove three books into one no no, no this is just the first book actually oh really it's just the first book of the trilogy which i didn't even know was i didn't even know that was the case i don't know if it's the source material or the fact that you know, it was just bad. The, the script just wasn't written well. I don't know what it is, um, but like for comparison, there like a critic that I agree with a lot of is like Roger Ebert. I think he was like a really fair critic, and he usually is over the moon about Miyazaki movies. And this is like the only one of Miyazaki's movies that he doesn't like. And I kind of agree with him in most of his points. I just don't think that it has. I don't know. I people like rave about it, but it's no. It's at the bottom of my. I think people rave about it because of the visuals because I think it is the most visual one of the most visually striking Miyazaki movies yeah like like Hal's castle itself is really kind of striking like all the different parts and how it moves and all that like it's really somebody took the time to like design this thing whereas I read about the book his castle is supposed to be like you know this 
intimidating, dark, like dr- like Dracula s castle. Like it's one of those like scary like yeah. castles or whatever. This one's more of like like a like a junk like a junkyard put together kind of like. Yeah. You can see, like, since it has to move around, like, it almost as if he picks up things from different places he goes and kind of slaps it onto his house in whatever way fits. Yeah, I think, well, what that is, is every time he um, teleports the house to a new home, that's what that is. And then at the end, when they take um, a calcifer out of the house, it, it for also, they don't explain this at all, but taking him out of the house, I guess, when it falls apart, all the portals go away. And that's why when the house is rebuilt, it's very, the castle's built, it's small again. Yeah, that's what I think that's what the whole point was. But that's what I mean. You know, there's all this a lot of stuff happens in this movie and they don't explain it and they don't even like subtly explain it. I think that's frustrating, even though I get it. It's not like immediately it makes sense. You know what I mean? Why does he have to turn into a bird to fight in the war? Did I mention that at all? Uh, His curse. Yeah, but but I don't think his curse. I don't. But that's the thing. I don't know if his. I don't think his the deal with Calcifer means that he has to become a bird. I think that that's just unexplained. Just like one more thing that may visually happen. I think it's alluded to that because of his thing with uh, Calcifer. Whenever he uses his powers, he becomes more the monster and less him. Right, yeah, they, they because he doesn't have a heart, like, Why does he yeah. have to become a monster in the first place? You know, <laughs> like, but I'm saying to use his power, like in order to fight in the war, he has to use his powers, and using his powers forces him to be more the monster because he doesn't have a heart. Yeah, true. That little that was my takeaway from it. Yeah, yeah. A little on the nose, but then again, so is the uh, Michael Keaton and Porco Rosso being a sexist pig. You know, like a literal <laughs> pig who is a sexist, you know. So right. I still love that the most famous line from Porco Rosso is, I'd rather be a pig than a fascist. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and then, of course, you know, in this, we also have, like, Turnip Head. Yeah. Which is secretly the prince, you know. But Turnip Head, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Couldn't come up with another name. Like, we got Calcifer, we got Hal, we got Markle. And His turnip head, head is literally a turnip. It's, it's just a turnip head. Yeah. Turnip head. <laughs> and that's so. I think the strength of this movie is well, a the visuals and b some of the characters, which are like I think Grandma Sophie, the Witch of the Waste, and Calcifer are the best three, which leaves out the titular Hal. And I I've never watched the sub version, but he's just not that interesting in the dubbed version. I mean, I don't think the writing for him is interesting in general and i don't think it helps that much in the sub i think that his voice is just more fitting to the character like for me the scene where you know his hair goes turns black yeah he says you know um i see no point in living if i can't be beautiful he becomes an emo kid for a little bit yeah like hearing christian bale say that just was funny to me whereas like we in the japanese voice I was just able to think, oh, this guy's just got ex- extreme case of like vanity. He's just, he's very vain. And I think that that in general is way more um, in, in the Japanese version, it's just played up more. The fact that he's just got this extreme vanity within him, whereas it kind of happens in one scene and then it's gone, you know? I mean, it's oh, funny yeah. that you mentioned the vanity part of it because the whole time I'm thinking with Christian Bale and his performance, I'm thinking he's like a slightly more charming and warm version of Patrick Bateman in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that, that is kind of a good... Like, he almost seems like, like they tried to make him more edgy with his voice or something. A little bit, yeah, but not like Batman edgy where like yeah. he went full on. 
Yeah, I'm not sure he was the right, like, I think he could have done the role well, but I'm not sure he was the perfect casting for it. From what I understand, he was just such a big fan of Spirited Away that he, like, asked to be in a Miyazaki movie. Yeah. Well, when was this dubbed? I think this was dubbed pretty shortly after this came out, because this came out after Spirited Away, and Spirited Away post-spirited away is when a lot of things started getting dubbed so he was probably batman at this point i think it's pre-batman no well batman begins came out in 2005 and this was 2004 so he was probably already shooting batman at the time okay you know he was probably she was probably doing the voice for this while he was trying to trim down uh being puff or trying to fatten up the uh, puffy batman Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh but yeah, I mean, his and like, so while we're on it, obviously, because we're talking about Christian Bale here, um, his performance, I think, is good for what it is. And obviously, we talked about this with uh, Keaton before as well, that the American dubs have to match the visuals of the characters. So like, if they're not an, if they're not animated, the performance isn't going to be an animated. I mean, obviously, they're animated, but I meant like the actions are not animated, like characters and all that. They're not big movements. They're not excited to all that kind of stuff. So they're kind of they're going to match it for what they see. But there are times where, you know, Christian Bell, you go, oh, it's, it does seem like he's actually having fun playing this role. Like he's real, like I said, he's real charming at times when he needs to be. And then of course, I, he, at the end, he gets to do a little bit of, um, he gets to be, a, uh, when he uh, changes the castle into like, um, and there's like soap, half a Sophie's hat shop or whatever it is when he moves it that last time. And he's, he seems like he's actually like enjoying doing what he's doing. So it's like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a pretty good performance. You know, it's, it's you got to match what you what you're given, but you're doing a good job, man. Good job. <laughs> uh, this dub came out pretty quickly after the initial release. So the initial release was September fifth, two thousand four, for Japan, and the dub released June tenth, two thousand five. Which is yeah. right around Batman Begins. I that's think. like right when Batman Begins came out. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's another thing we have to look at. I think like. Save besides American Psycho, at this point in his career, you know, right now Christian Bale does what he wants to do. You know, he, like right. directors don't like tell, like they don't like. I mean, sure, directors will give him advice, but in general, you know, he's known as one of the best actors. You know, and right he's known right now. for not particularly taking criticism well at this point. Well, now the, the listen, the the Terminator thing wasn't criticism. That wasn't why he was yelling. He was yelling because some dude kept walking onto right. the set while he was acting. Right. That's different. Yeah. I actually, the, listen, he acted like a douche, but the more I read about that, the more yeah. I think like. Understandable. That, yeah. It's absolutely understandable. Yeah. It's just unfortunate it got caught on calendar, like, yeah. you know, audio. But I don't think that he has a problem with criticism so much as I think he just does what he wants now. He's like, you know, the same way, like, sorry to mention his name, like Christopher Nolan gets given <clears> money <throat> to do whatever original works he wants because he's proven that he brings in money, even though he's not doing superhero movies or sequels right you mean so, you mean by making the end of bill and ted's excellent adventure into a full-length feature film and calling it tenet <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about tenet another time uh i have a lot to say about tenet um, Pro I, don't or con. Even, I don't think mike's even seen tenet yet so there's nothing to even talk about are you for tenet or against tenet jr uh for what it is, I'm for Tenet. I think if you look at it as an entertaining movie and not like, you know, it, like I think that some people think that it was supposed to be some pretentious thought piece. But in general, I think Christopher Nolan was just trying to make a movie specifically around the idea, that one single idea 
It doesn't have any character. The characters are all meaning. None of the characters right. are important. There's no character arcs. Right. I think all he wanted to do, I think what he does now is see what he can get away with. Yeah. Like, I he's can like, see that. Can I make a movie with no characters that are interesting and a cool idea and make yeah. an entire plot around one cool idea and see like how, what happens? And I, to be honest, I thought the movie was entertaining. Sure, there were times I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Exactly. But I watched it again. And every time I watch it, I pick up on a lot of things that I missed. It's not like Inception where people were confused about Inception, but there was like a very specific like emotional core to Inception. Yeah. Also Inception is really not that hard to understand. Um, not really. <laughs> um, Tenet is very difficult to understand. It's very complicated. All right, um, Ross. Not- Ross, Tenet what? or Rocky Four? <laughs> <laughs> well, like we've established before we went on, Rocky Four is not technically a movie. So I'm going to go with Tenet. <laughs> Like I said, Rocky Four is the best dream sequence after Rocky Three. <laughs> you know? But yeah, like, no, yeah, no, Ross. What were your thoughts on Tenet, though? I want to. I I thought Tenet was fine. Like yeah. I had to, I had to keep restarting it because just for some reason I couldn't, I couldn't not fall asleep during the beginning of the movie. So like it took me a couple chances to really get it going. But when I finally watched it all the way through, I was like, oh, this isn't bad. It's okay. Yeah. Like it's it, listen, all Tenet is is a spy movie with time travel. That's exactly. All it is. And that's I what think I was people, I, I think people try to expect like this, like, you know, grand epic storyline from every movie Christopher Nolan makes. And that's not what this movie was. It right. never was supposed to be that. He wanted to, listen, Christopher Nolan's very upfront about how much he's wanted to make a James Bond movie. The snow scene in Inception was literally an audition for James Bond. Yeah. I think that- And they did it was, in Skyfall. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. Listen, Skyfall is literally the dark night. Um, so um, I think that, I think that he wanted to make a spy movie and put his own twist on it because this guy, he's a fucking obsessed with time and how to use it and use it interestingly in movies. I think that Mike needs to watch it. I, I've been trying, I've been wanting to talk yeah. to Mike about it. I've been wanting to talk to Mike about Tenet for a long time. Cause I think if you approach it as an action movie, that's, you know, with, with then you probably enjoy it. Um, yeah. But anyway. It's not bad. It's 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 very interesting. But like like I said, it's if when you see the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, that kind of explains the ending of this of Tenet as well. And I was like, I couldn't get that out of my mind. I'm expecting Keanu Reeves to show up and go, "Remember a trash can," <laughs> and then have like a, Keanu, like a trash can fall on somebody. But anyway, but before we got into this of time, yeah, there there the is. A little bit of a time manipulation in Howl's Moving Castle because he does have that like that little like door rotating uh like the color uh, coded doors and gateways and all that and like again like that's something that little touches like that in Studio Ghibli and anime and all that it's like these are little these are cool little things that you see and I'm like okay this is cool but in my head again this is me being the eh, kind of anime guy it's like all right that's a neat idea. But then I had this little kid like putting on a hoodie and growing a beard, and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake! I can't, I can't get into this. You know? Here's my thing. Here's here's my thing. I think that if you don't, if you're not like used to anime, and you're and you can't like, is your if your problem is that sort of thing, then there are different types of anime through that movies to watch. Like I don't think that watching, you know, if 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 like fantasy oriented anime isn't something that you find interesting, like you can't get into invested in the characters because you see this shit that looks so ridiculous then ghibli movies just probably aren't for you, you know it's, what I mean? the st- it's the actual style of the ghibli movies like while i grant i granted i will give the fact that they look awesome like they're amazing they have their great own style but for some reason um are you, are you guys familiar with the castlevania netflix series yeah 
Okay, that style of animation is more appealing to me for some reason. So I think you're going to end up, when we finally do review it, I think you're going to end up liking the Demon Slayer style of animation a bit. Okay. Yeah, like it's for yeah, some reason, you, I don't if know. If you like the Castlevania animation, you will you will like Demon Yeah, Slayer. like for some reason that just appeals to me. I don't know. It feels like every time I see that, I guess because, I don't know, maybe it's because I want more like hardcore well that's like, your favorite ghibli movie your favorite ghibli movie that we've watched was princess mononoke right which like, is just a heavy metal album you know put, yeah. to, like, put to screen that's why probably why i love it because it's so re- it's so insane and there's just <laughs> violence everywhere and i love it. maybe that's it maybe it's a little more telling for me that i just want to see the uh, animated violence and anything. that's i think the highest rated like anime movies we watched was that and uh what horror anime movie did we watch with the the little the girl who had like the alternate oh, ego with the blue, uh blue what fuck was it it was blue something yeah oh, i know what you're talking about oh uh something blue yeah uh is it powder blue or is it no pop, it was paprika was one of the ones we mentioned paprika it's the same guy who did paprika yeah it's the same guy um it's something blue satoshi khan it's called perfect blue perfect yeah. blue that's what it was yeah like so we watched that i was like hey this shit's awesome <laughs> this is great other than the fact that the movie was completely insane and uh, great in that way like just like the the visual the visuals of that were more i don't know for some reason that appealed to me more from every time i see a studio ghibli movie i go i feel like i should be 12 years old watching this you know or 10 years old like it just no, yeah i totally agree weird. with you because so my experience with anime began during the pandemic um, okay Actually, no. I mean, it's not entirely true. As a kid, I watched Naruto, but I didn't really watch it faithfully. I would just watch it whenever it was on TV. So during um, the pa- when the pandemic started, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to watch all of Naruto. And not all of it. I skipped all the filler crap. Um, well, not all of it. I watched some of the filler. But anyway, so I watched Naruto and then I was like, you know what? <clears throat> that took too much time. I don't want to get, I don't want to watch anime. I'll just watch the Ghibli movies because I've always heard they're so good. And I was like, all right, let me watch all the Studio Ghibli movies. So I watched most of them, not all of them. And I was like, oh, those are really good. And then I just found myself like having watched so much. I was like, even though I said I wasn't going to, I started watching other anime. Uh And the more I watched like, you know, other TV shows and not necessarily like really long ones. I've mostly stuck to shorter ones because I don't want to invest too much time into one show see like i have a pretty big library of long shows i've watched yeah but, but, I but also the, i've been watching anime since i was in middle school yeah but i noticed that the more i watched the less i like the animation style for studio Ghibli because it does <laughs> i think that the fact that nearly all of it save a few like i mean like like the tale of the princess kaguya is like the only one that has a notably different art style out of all the Ghibli movies it almost makes them feel well i think that the stories are really interesting i'm not wowed by them anymore i'm not wowed by the way that they look because they all to some extent look exactly the same yeah so i think that's something so i grew up watching 90s anime that's what i grew up 80s and 90s anime yeah, like Evangelion shit so now nah, I was never a huge fan of Evangelion, but like I love the original Dragon Ball and Yu Yu Hakusho and Roroni Kenshin, and I think that like the hand drawn animation has a very unique charm to it that I don't mm-hmm. quite get from modern animation, and that's why I like the Ghibli animation so much. It's because everything is hand drawn and every like all the landscapes look amazing. No, the characters, I, not as much, but... The characters, I think, the most lacking 
in terms yeah. of the way yeah. they have very they're very they're all too similar there's not much, like everybody looks like they're the same person but with different hair so um, speaking of speaking of that i i didn't mean to cut you off jr but that's a great like a sort of segue into American Psycho because we'll touch on that as well because a big theme of that is how everyone looks the same. <laughs> and of course, Jr., your personal life we're going to get into as well, your professional life, I should say, because you're you're pretty much in American Psycho, aren't you, buddy? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> the business world, the business world of American Psycho makes no sense, um, which is what's so funny about it because no matter how much they talk about it. You never once see a single character doing any business at all right, in that right. film. But Jr., what what shade of white are your business cards? I don't have a business card. They got to be bone. They got to be bone. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, um, J, uh, J.P. Morgan business cards are pretty dull in terms of the way they look. So, um, also the, that's another thing. The business cards also make no sense in that scene, and that's what's so amazing about them. They all have the exact same position. It's the best. It's amazing. It's, they're all that, vice presidents. Yeah, it's I so think good. The, and I, I think other here. I think that even like there's even more like that doesn't make any sense about the American Psycho business. Right. Should we do? Well, we'll, we'll get to it. So we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do our beer check. And unless we want to do some final thoughts on Christian Bale's performance I'm, in uh, *Howl's Moving Castle*, so much. I think favorite. it's competent but uninspired. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm down to agree with that. Yeah, I think it's. A, I think it was a. It's. It's a good performance for what it is. And what I was trying to say earlier was that I think earlier on in Christian Bale's career, he's probably told to do something, and so he did it rather than experimenting. Because you yeah. know, while he was still successful and had just landed Batman, you know, he hadn't. You know, had he doesn't have he didn't have the Hollywood clout that he does now to do whatever yeah. the fuck he wants. Imagine. You know who actually might have been perfect to voice Hal to tra- to go between like kind of flamboyant and serious would have been Robin Williams. Yeah, he he could have yeah. been okay. It would have been, it would have been a little too. I I don't know. I don't think Williams could have stuck to a script. So he probably would have definitely tried to be like more like Billy Crystal usually is. <laughs> what know? about Nathan Lane? <laughs> That'd be fun. Just to see Nathan Lane as that character would be fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, this I don't is... know how Robin Williams would have been able to pull off the more... Well, I think Robin Williams has, you know, a charming sense to him in a way. The, uh, you know, the aspect of the, like, how that all the girls think that, you know, he only goes after these beautiful women and then eats their hearts. Like, I don't think that he could pull that no. side of him off. You no, know, he's never been that there. He was a very versatile actor. He's never been the sexy guy. No, I didn't. I didn't think he could pull off serial killer, but he did. That's true. He did pull off serial killer and insomnia. Another Christopher Nolan film, if I might add. <laughs> I was say, wasn't I he like also one in one hour photo? <laughs> earlier movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look through, if I say my favorite Christopher Nolan movies, it's I the love uh, the Prestige. Prestige is my favorite by far. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> but my personal favorite is Memento, but. Memento is my second. But, uh, all right, so this has been partial Christopher Nolan, partial Studio Ghibli talk. <laughs> now we're going to do a, a, a beer and or Earl Grey tea check-in. So, uh, JR, how's your tea doing? My tea is done. I drank it all, and it was great. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. My throat feels very soothed. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I mean, Christian, Christian Bale is European. He is Welsh. So I'm sure they have <laughs> tea time at some point. So uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> And Christian Bale's throat definitely needs to be soothed after doing that, you know, Batman voice. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Mike, how's your uh, how's your giant brandy glass? 
<laughs> it is excellent. I very much am enjoying this beer. I had the lighter version of, I can't think what kind of beer it is, but I had a slightly lighter version of this when I was there on Friday. And they are they were both amazing, and I highly recommend it. This is Amputator. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I got my uh, my tone wood, my woodland lager, which is a Fodor beer. That's a traditional lager, and blah blah blah. Tastes delicious. It's awesome. Oakland, New Jersey, tone wood. Could be a restaurant in American Psycho, which was from 2000, directed by Mary Heron, who really didn't direct much else and i don't honestly think she needed to i think she nailed it the first time around so you know i mean and right off the bat we get in my opinion being you know in loving the 80s pop music the greatest soundtrack you could ever have in a movie this is such a good soundtrack for this movie <laughs> do you like huey lewis in the news of course <laughs> sports it is a great album by the way that I found myself listening to Hip to Be Squared when I was driving home from Walmart before we recorded. <laughs> it is great. But like the best the best part about this now, I don't know if have you guys read the book of American Psycho. I, I have not. not. Okay. The book is it's a lot more long-winded and like a lot of listing shit and a lot more commentary on like the culture itself. Like, of course, we open this most we pretty much open this movie one of the opening scenes is Patrick Bateman describing his morning shower routine. Now in the book that lasts like two chapters, it's, it's kind of obnoxious. And then there's like full, like I'm telling you the Whitney Houston part, like it's towards the end of the movie and it's very brief, but the Whitney Houston rant that Patrick Bateman goes on lasts literally three chapters in the book. And it's insane because you, you sit there and you go, wow, like how much cocaine do you have to be on writing this book to write three like full chapters on Whitney Houston? It's not like you're writing six pages. You're just splitting it every two. It's like they're like 10 page chapters. <laughs> it's kind of it's really obnoxious, but like it's great how this movie just takes all of the excess of the of the book. And of course, the excess is kind of part of it because it's supposed to be just a commentary on 80s culture business culture yuppies all that kind of stuff so condensing it down to this movie is actually it's really impressive that she makes a coherent movie out of that book because she just trims all of the fat and leaves everything that you need just to get the idea of what kind of world that patrick bateman uh, lives in and it's it's a great world to live in if you are a rich white guy you know <laughs> well my favorite line in the movie is i'm into uh well uh murders and executions mostly and then oh, like... mergers and acquisitions how do you like that <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is pumpkin you're dating a tumbling tumbling dickweed <laughs> <laughs> and i completely forgot i hadn't seen this in years i completely forgot reese witherspoon was in this movie <laughs> <laughs> well we all know so Christian Bale got his frustration out on Jared Leto, and it's very cathartic for me to watch. <laughs> Mike, Mike loves that scene when Paul Allen bites it. I was thinking of getting Coronas, just drinking Coronas, obviously, because that's what Paul Allen gets drunk on in the, uh, in the shitty bar that they go to. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a dog, like a chow or something? No, <laughs> no, Paul, I nothing. don't. Is that a rain jacket? Yes, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. And 
of course then there's also like again it's and, and it's my it's reese witherspoon's best line but it's also one of the best in the movie what at the at the huh the santa party like the christmas party that they have what does mr grinch want for christmas and don't say breast implants again <laughs> it's like all right <laughs> it's, it's pretty much the line right there that you need for the 80s <laughs> But yeah, this movie just somehow, it's perfect for encompassing the total insanity that this guy is go through, going through. Like, it's it's insane. Now, the real question is, how much of this actually happens? That's that's the big question about this entire movie. Now how much of it actually happens? That is my one thing with this movie, is I like there to be multiple points in a movie. Like, if it's a question of, is it all a dream? It did it all happen in his mind. I like where there's multiple points where you could be like, that's where it's a dream. That's where it's a dream. But there's not. It's either, oh, it maybe all happened. It maybe all happened in his mind. There's no real logical splitting point. Yeah, I always thought that it was, well, I really don't have any evidence to back it up. It always seemed to me like the most likely scenario is that some of it happened and some of it didn't. Right. Like, I don't think it's either all a dream or all of it happened. I think it's maybe some of these things happen and some of them haven't. That's kind of the way I always looked at it. But also I didn't like the, is he actually Patrick Bateman? Like who that, is the- that part does. Yeah. That part always did confuse me. Yeah. The lawyer thinks that he was playing a prank on him and that he's not actually Patrick Bateman. Well, that, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. I guess J.R. was done. <laughs> no. Well, no, but, I just uh, heard you were about to say something. So oh, yeah. Sure. Sorry, sorry. No, that that did, but I think that totally speaks to more of the theme of the whole movie, which is that you can't tell the majority of these guys apart. And that's the big joke that the look and these guys are so vain and they're caught up with all these superficial things that they live as almost one person. Like the business cards, they're all vice presidents. They all have nearly identical business cards, except for, and you'll notice it's the one character who has the very different um, business card is Lewis, who is, if you watch um, Silicon Valley, he's, um, shit, I can't remember the character's name, but he's head of the, uh, he's head of Hooli. Um, oh, Silicon Valley. Right. He's, I can't remember the damn actor's name. He's great, but he plays Lewis. Now, Lewis is also, the only like redhead of the group. He's the only gay character in the movie. He's not openly out, but his business card has his name is in gold lettering, and it's a very different like kind of layout. Matt to his Ross card. is the character. Or is the act- Matt Ross is the Matt actor. Ross. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But like his his business card is different because he is the different character. He's the only one that would never be confused for everyone else. Now, I would also argue that Justin Thoreau's character is one of the best ones in the movie, just because his personality is so specific, and he's so, like, such a casual asshole that he's just almost endearing, you know? Like, when he yells at the guy in the bathroom when they're doing drugs, <laughs> he's like, and of course, he uses the, um, the, the disparaging word for gay people, the F-word slur. He's like, if, that, if this F-word and the other stall thinks it's okay, you know? I'm trying to do drugs here. That's, and the other thing that's interesting with Justin Thoreau's character is it's the only character that Patrick actually likes. Yeah. Right. I found interesting. Right. And I think he's also the he... only one that really acknowledges that he is Patrick, really. <laughs> Am I the only one who totally forgot Willem Dafoe's in this movie? 
I I remembered he was in it. I couldn't remember when he showed up. But then when they were like, oh, the the detective show, I'm like, that's Defoe. That's who it was. I couldn't remember. We'll have to do a Defoe episode soon. I love that, man. Dude, we got we to gotta take some time to prepare for a Defoe episode. I mean, I think, <laughs> <it depends. laughs> I think the I think that getting into Christian Bale's performance a bit, I think that what I find so funny about it, besides like the, you know, over the topness of scenes like, you know, the like the business card scene are when he tries to say things that he thinks normal people say, like, mm-hmm. I've got to go return some videotapes yeah. or like, or like when Willem Dafoe's like, where were you? And like, he instinctively says, I must've been returning videotapes and then looks at his calendar and says what he right. was doing. Like he thinks that like, that's a normal thing that people do and people say as like, it, it, it's stuff like that, that I found so Don't funny. just look at it, eat it. Yeah, don't just stare at it, eat it. Don't just stare at it, eat it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, everything Four. he does is so absurd and I think it works so well. And what I love about it is, like I love reading, um, like for example, when Johnny Depp was doing Jack, uh, Jack Sparrow, everyone thought, this is the worst shit I've ever seen in my life because he wasn't playing the character the way the script was supposed to be. He just kind okay. of did his own thing. And then on film, they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Right. It was the same thing with Christian Bale. He was like a relatively unknown guy. And all the actors and crew thought that he was the worst, the worst actor they'd ever seen. And then they watched the movie and they were like, oh my God, this is fucking unbelievable. You yeah. Know? yeah. I think that's so interesting the way that that you know maybe acting alongside of this performance you would think this guy sucks but then when you actually watch the finished product it's such a believable it's so manic in its execution that it like just watching it out of context would definitely seem silly to a degree yeah i think and 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 besides all the crazy stuff that i was saying before i think what he does best in this movie is in those scenes where he's like losing his shit it's just it's it's just his voice and not just when he's being loud and manic but like the scene where they're comparing business cards and he says like impressive very nice or let's see paul allen's card like just the way he like his voice almost cracks or like wavers when he says let's see paul allen's card you know what i mean like that like it's just everything about it if we're talking if we're comparing it to like the house moving castle performance where that is like phoning it in almost it seems like to me this is like very experimental and that's what I think so we're on we're on totally opposite spectrums of the christian bale capacity with these two performances yeah yeah where like hal is just so reined in and not experimental at all competent but not inspired this is Let's- like throwing shit at a wall let's see what works and it happened that most of it worked yeah and that's the thing like it's when it's of course you know with the performance with hal he has to match obviously what he's supposed to match on screen with the animation whereas with this mary heron essentially was like all right do what you got to do with this character and one of my favorite parts is but two things actually his narration is perfect because there's no one else that could really narrate the just inane horseshit that he goes through his body wash routine all of that shit his morning ritual like listening to him narrate i'm like i want christian bell to narrate literally everything as patrick bateman like this is amazing it's imagine morgan freeman was narrating as patrick bateman (laughs) right but then 
the thing is, there's also the scene, like you mentioned, um, JR, like people looking and going, this is fun. Like the people acting alongside him being like, this is fucking terrible. Apparently, according to the business card, with the business card scene, the different times that they would do different takes, and it's when uh, Patrick has to see Paul Allen's card, and he kind of, you see him kind of lose it for a second. Apparently, now, of course, this could all just be anecdotal and just them using, like, you know, the mythology of Christian Bale. Apparently, multiple different people in that scene, Thoreau being one of them, and um, the guy that plays, uh, I think it's it's not thorough it's the other guy with the glasses he's in a bunch of shit i can't remember the damn character's name but apparently they both like separately recalled that during that scene they did multiple takes bale would like break out into a sweat almost on cue so it's like i know of actors who can cry on cue but i've never heard of anyone who can sweat on cue <laughs> that is insane to me <laughs> now, what i want to know is what like Bale is notoriously like a method actor. I'm curious what he did for this. Like, what? How did he prepare for this? If he's a, like, if he has to become his role, I don't want to be around him when he's when he becomes Patrick Bateman. Well, that's the thing. I don't think he's one of those method actors that like makes you call him Patrick Bateman on set. He's not like Leto probably was. Leto probably had people calling him Paul Allen, you know. But I think yeah. the thing with with um with with bale is that he just prepares really well and well ahead of time obviously we all know when he was becoming dick cheney he like gained weight well in advance of being in that role so yeah. he was like purposely getting win. obviously the machinist is his biggest body transformation where he dropped down to like 85 pounds and then he had to beef up to be batman after that and that's why he's kind of literally chunky like batman. a year and a half later he was batman yeah. yeah it's like everyone knows that kind of legend of christian bale but I think the method acting part is just him being so intensely like prepared to be his character as a, yeah. as opposed to, you know, your, your Jared Leto's and your, um, uh, hell, who the hell was, um, Lincoln and my left foot and Daniel Day Lewis. that's it. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. Like I think that, that guy like, lives as his characters, you know? <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. And I think, I think like for like another like example of it was like, people think that like, so when Christian Bale was, you know, doing like, um, junkies for batman begins and you know he was still like a relatively unknown actor at the time um he was speaking in an american accent and a lot of people like cite that as him being like a method actor but like you know only talking in, in, in his american accent but like he was doing that specifically like he even said the only reason i did that was because i thought that you know people americans wouldn't like a batman actor being british or something like yeah that's just well, like, I, a, like like he all of his press tours all of his interviews on tv he spoke in an american accent the entire time and never spoke in his british accent well i read he did that because his actual nat native accent is so difficult to understand he just does it to be easier to be heard you know to be understood <laughs> you know so like an american accent is just easier to understand than his thick welsh accent that he has because yeah. Welsh words are like just nonsense letters, you know. That's, <laughs> I, of I, have, I have a couple friends from Wales that I met when I was abroad, and they they when they get excited, they were pretty hard to understand. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like people that are like, as we met on my on our honeymoon, we met this great couple from Scotland, but like, it's like we became friends with them on Facebook. Like, so there are times where I'm like, oh, hey, Doug's posts on Facebook, but he'll be posting like with his buddies. And he's speaking in like slang Scottish is the best I can call it. And it's a completely different language. It's not English. I can tell you that. <laughs> my one buddy from Wales actually messaged me about our uh, 
when we did Shaolin Soccer, he's like, this is my absolute favorite movie. I'm going to listen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But it's, yeah, it's almost like you would need like a dub for Christian Bale if he did like his native accent. You know, you'd need some like American actor to dub Christian Bale. <laughs> Imagine you had Hal, but like with a Cockney British accent. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing with, with, with Bale. All of his live action roles, for the most part, that he's done, like, he's never done, aside from maybe Batman and Bruce Wayne. He's never done like a normal, regular guy. You know, of course, Batman's not a regular guy, and neither is Bruce Wayne, but he's the closest thing Christian Bell has really done to just an average kind of everyday person. You know, American Psycho, very much pretending to be a yuppie. He is an absolute psychopath other than that, which some people might argue 80s yuppies were. But there's also, you know, the machinist. There's also Dick Cheney. Like, there's... There's uh, even Ford versus Ferrari as whatever his character's name is. He wasn't like a regular guy. Like he had like a little bit of issues in that. The fighter, he's as Dicky. He's a, he's a junkie. You know, there's all kinds of roles that he's done. You probably have to go back to like Pocahontas or um, him as a kid and whatever that Bruce Willis movie is, where he's actually like a human being. <laughs> you know, he's like a regular person. Like all of his roles seem to be he's a very great character actor. In yeah. the sense that he's a leading man character actor, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, he does... It would be it would be so weird to see Christian Bale just play, like, your next-door neighbor who has no skeletons in it. Like, just your next-door neighbor, Christian Bale out mowing a lawn. Like, I just... I just yeah, couldn't right. see it. <laughs> like, you could never see Christian Bale playing a Tom Hanks type of role, basically. Yeah. Never, never. And that's the thing. Like, he's his next biggest role that we're going to see him in is as the villain in the next Thor movie. Now, he plays Gore the God Butcher. Now, in the comics, that character is, like, a white Voldemort-type-looking guy. And he wears, like, a black hoodie, and he's, like, just... Again, they call him the God Butcher for a reason, because he kills gods. But, he again, he's not playing you know, Loki in that situation. <laughs> you know, he's not playing like the down-to-earth character. He's playing a fantastical god creature, whereas... I'm, I, I'm really surprised that he's actually joining the MCU. I, I, I'm shocked that he would do... I, did I don't know. I feel like at every that. point, you get sucked in at some point. You know, they got Glenn Close. They got, they're gonna, they got Stallone. They're, they're gonna get, they're gonna get the Christian Bales too. Meryl Streep, when she jumps into the MCU, that's when I think the end will come. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis hops in the MCU. Well, he right. quit acting in general. So that's, that's kind of... right. He did retire. Yeah. I mean, hell, we got, they got uh, Anthony Hopkins in the MCU for multiple movies. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, but Anthony Hopkins is already in that point of his career where he's like, the, the fuck it, I'll do anything years, you know? He was already in that. <laughs> That's true. But, of course, in this movie, and then, of course, we're not, we're talking about, you know, American Psycho here. Like we said, like, I forgot Reese Witherspoon was in this movie. Then, of course, I forgot that Reggie Cathy was in this as well. He's the homeless man that Patrick uh, Bateman kills. We're probably going to talk about him coming up because there's a movie he's in that I'm probably going to make Mike watch. Because we're gonna do a uh, a Mike and Ross's month, we're gonna we're gonna subject some movies on each other. Not necessarily bad, not necessarily good. We're just gonna make each other watch different movies. But Reggie Cathy is in one of the movies that I'm I think I'm gonna pick. But he's so great now. Obviously, R.I.P. Both his character in this movie and in real life because he died recently. But I'm like looking. I'm like, holy shit! And then of course, you know, Matt Ross is in it. Reese Witherspoon. Um, even the girl that plays um, 
uh patrick's like actual girlfriend i can't even remember her name but she's actually been in stuff too and of course and if we all know like when you're watching this when the second the whitney houston scene where um patrick has uh the hooker over to um paul allen's apartment and he has his friend elizabeth there as well mike do you remember who elizabeth is did you recognize her she is the bus station attendant in Dogma, the one that says, uh, I suggest you don't underestimate the staggering power of the Garden State and arrive an hour early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her name, the actress's name is Guinevere Turner. She's also in Chasing Amy as um, Amy's girlfriend in, or uh, Amy's, um, uh, she's like her writing partner or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> now, one thing with this movie is the first time I saw it, me and my friends were trying to watch a horror movie and my one friend suggested this as a horror movie and all i could think of when this was over was that wasn't a horror movie did he mean to watch actual psycho (laughs) (laughs) i I have no idea but i'm like that it was a good movie but it wasn't a horror movie so i i was like disappointed the first time i saw it because i really wanted to watch a horror movie but going back i i it's a great movie but (laughs) Yeah, but it's yeah, it's it's not like you said, not a horror movie. Of course, you know, though with lines like "We went to a new musical, Oh Africa, Brave Africa," it was a laugh riot. Yeah, it might be a horror movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that we didn't even bring it up. We always bring up when movies have memes, and this movie has a couple. Has a ton of them. It has oh so my many. god, dude! One of my favorite, my one of my favorites. I mean, obviously, beside the you know you know him looking at the card meme which is a great one yeah it's just the scene of him walking into his office with the headphones on and, yep. and it'll, people it's like the, it's such a low effort meme they'll just yeah. play a different song than then actually what's playing like, it's so scene. brilliant though like some of the different songs you put in that they are so brilliant though. <laughs> my I also, favorite one my favorite one is there's one where he's actually walking through a home depot and he's listening to the home depot theme song <laughs> That's my favorite version. That's a good one. My, my, I think my favorite meme from this movie is him looking at himself having sex, reaching nope. his hand out. Yeah, no, that's that is a good one. one. He's like looking at him, pointing at himself, and winking. I know that yep. is a great one too. I send yeah, that gift to people a lot. That's, yeah, I, mean, I know. I'm one of the recipients of that gift a lot. <laughs> I mean, and speaking of that, like speaking of body transformation, fucking Christian Bell is. <laughs> cut in this movie he is fucking shredded well, did you movie. read his workout routine or did you hear was his it a thousand routine? sit-ups like he does his character <laughs> does <laughs> but yeah yeah his workout and like self-care routine takes up a good 10 minutes of the movie i feel like right yeah and like in the book it's like the beginning like seven chapters of the movie like of the book like the book brett easton ellis is the author of the book now that guy Obviously, if if you look at anything, he's got an, he's one of those guys that now has an opinion on everything, and no one needs to hear it. Kind of like when people like when musicians want when people want uh, opinions on music, and they go to Corey Taylor from Slipknot. It's like, yeah, Corey's an eloquent guy; he'll talk for hours. But do we really need his opinion on everything? No, we don't. So it's same thing with Brett Easton Ellis when it comes to authors. But that dude is like, his career was essentially made out of writing novels about shallow '80s people, and um there's also like rules of engagement which is a james vanderbeek movie they made that into a movie which is not bad there's some fun characters in that there's less than zero is his is his as well um he's he's a very specific type of writer so for this book to become the movie that it did it's almost like you gotta just you gotta shave out 
all of the crazy excess of the 80s essentially it's almost like you know a dragon like the ouroboros like the serpent eating its tail kind of thing you know you got to shave out the excess of the 80s to get to a good movie about the excess of the 80s you know it's it's really weird <laughs> that I, one of my favorite versions of typical 80s Wall Street guy. It, did you guys ever see the episode of Futurama where the guy from the 80s gets on Frozen and becomes best friends with Fry? Yeah, I, I do remember <laughs> that one, yeah. That's where he's like, typical 80s guy, and they start dancing to the safety dance. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, which is like one of the big popular 80s songs that's not in the soundtrack. But it's true. It does. I if Christian Bale was like dancing to the safety dance while having sex with the hooker, that might be the best scene in movie history. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then of course, just the just the various different lines in this movie. Like, how did a nitwit like you get so tasteful? Is such a great line. <laughs> and then of course, there's the other ones. Like, um, I'm not really hungry, but I'd like to have reservations somewhere. Like right there, it's just the. Yeah that sums up the 80s right there like you you don't you're not at a place to eat you're at a place to be seen and it's it's insane because that's what these guys are and that kind of revolves around the purpose of this movie which is to say these guys are everywhere which is why everyone doesn't notice them being somewhere because they all look identical they all have the olive even like patrick says about him and um uh, marcus halberstrand this dickhead marcus halberstrand they have the same suits. They get. They have the same taste in all of her people's glasses. They even have the same barber who gives them the same haircut. And Patrick's like, except mine is slightly better. It's like, well, is it though? <laughs> you know, it's the same haircut on the same guy. You know, you just happen to look like Christian Bale, one of the most classically handsome men at the time, versus this generic background extra that they made Marcus Halberstram. You know, <laughs> but that's again, that's the point. Like they're all supposed to look identical which is kind of ironic because Jared Leto has like the most baby face out of all of them. So you'd think that they'd notice this big doe-eyed deer sitting there with the, uh, the slick back, you know, hair and the pinstripe suit. You think that somebody would notice that this man is missing from the world, <laughs> even though somebody's claiming to have dinner with him in London when he's supposed to be murdered. <laughs> well, maybe missing from the world. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, my theory is that the only thing that actually does happen in this movie is Patrick Bateman killing Paul Allen. Yeah. And that's the only thing that actually does happen. I think the rest is all in his head. Huh. I just wish, so, like, I like when there's, like, some sort of indicator that when something happens and, like, I would like to hear the author's standpoint on what they th- what they would point out as happening. Oh, Easton Ellis? I think yeah. Easton Ellis is, is, I think, if I remember, he's on record as saying it's a, it's a good, it's good for what it is. It had to be a two-hour, like, Hollywood movie. So it's like the best version of what that could have possibly been of his book. I feel like the thing with that is like, you know, and this is like goes for like authors like Stephen King too, who I do love. But when a movie uh, of their work is more successful than their work itself, then they say stuff like that. Well, that's the thing. Like his book is one of the most famous like banned book like top the top on the band book list you know every time somebody talks about it, it's always like catcher in the rye and then it's like american psychos number two you know and then like hitler gets number three at mind Kampf. it's like so he beats hitler you know it's like and then for a guy like brett easton ellis i think that's like a badge of honor for him you know? yeah. <laughs> i'm more i'm more banned than hitler it's like well 
you're also an asshole like Hitler. So, you know, no one wants to talk to you either. But I just mean to say that I think if people, when you bring up American Psycho, most people are going to talk about the movie, not the book. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Unless you like, unless it's your specifics. Stephen King hates Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining. Right. Everybody loves The Shining. I don't know anyone who does. Well, that's right. I love the story with that is when. I think Stephen King said that Kubrick called him at like five in the morning to see what he meant about something. And then Kubrick didn't like his answer and just said, no, I think you're wrong and hung up. Yeah, it was whether or not Jack like hated being a father. And then King was like, what? And he's like, does he hate being a father? He's like, kind of. It's like, all right, you're wrong. And then he hung up. It's like, well, (laughs) why did you even call? You know? Clearly, you just point? want validation. At right. What was the point? What are you doing? Pretentious douchebag director Stanley Kubrick would be at number one. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just like weird guys in general, you know? But of course, you know, there's, and then one of my favorite lines that I picked up this time was, well, I mean, obviously you hear it the first time, it just doesn't stick with you. For some reason, it stuck with me this time when Bateman is breaking up with Reese Witherspoon and he says, Is it the line about the friends? Because I was about to bring it up. <laughs> No, he says, you're just not terribly important to me. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that's such a devastating breakup line right there. <laughs> you know, there's so many other, and of course, that's after he's drawn um, the dead chain, the dead hooker with the chainsaw on her back, like on the placemat. <laughs> you know? Oh my, that scene in itself is such like a, like, I, at that point, I started to go, this isn't happening anymore. When he's I don't chasing. Know, <laughs> That's some great it with a chainsaw and just drops it down the staircase. Yeah, Six no, floors to catch her. <laughs> Six floors to catch her in the back. That's a hell of a shot right there. <laughs> I just wanted. I just want to note that after he breaks up with her, after saying that you're not so terribly important to me, line when he, he tells her to stop crying and she asks where he's going, he says, "I've got to return some video That's right. Yep. <laughs> and then of course, hear that line. Yep, and then of course you get Reese Witherspoon's performance is pretty great too because she's kind of putting on this performance of crying, and she wants people to see that she's being broken up with. But when he like neutralizes that and just walks away, she looks around like, "Is anyone still paying attention to me?" And then she kind of notices, and people are kind of turning away, and then she stops crying. You know, and she just goes (laughs) back to it. I'm I'm surprised they didn't have a little bonus scene of her just ordering lunch after that. You know, (laughs) I love when he goes. I know your friends are my friends, and uh, I've thought about that. You can have them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I mean, just the whole the whole performance by Bale in general, especially his interactions with Gene, which is Chloe Sevigny, which we haven't really mentioned. Um. This is, this is, I believe, before Brown Bunny when she literally actually blew a guy on camera. Um, if it's, it's shocking that it wouldn't happen in this movie. But and Gene, where he's like, this whole time, he, he's got this just perfect 80s boss-subordinate sexual harassment kind of thing going on where he's like passively like harassing her, like telling her not to wear certain clothes, you know, that she's that she looks great today because, you know, just of course in the 80s in that biz, that culture, it's all about how you look. And then he invites her out to dinner. He, he makes a show of trying to get uh, reservations at Dorcia, which is the big, the hot restaurant at the time. And then they actually do. He has her at her, uh, his apartment. He's asking her questions. He gives her like a thing of Ben and Jerry's. that's like basically empty just to kind of eat before dinner. And then Reese Witherspoon calls, has her little voicemail. It plays out over there, over through the living room. They both hear it. 
And she's like, maybe I should go. And he's like, yeah, you probably should. I think I, I don't think I could not, I would, I think I would end up hurting you. And he means literally physically hurting her. And then she says, yeah, I don't want to get bruised. And she means emotionally bruised. And of course it also plays the same way because yeah, you're about to get seriously fucking bruised or whatever he does with that coat hanger to the hooker. You know, <laughs> it's like, some bad shit's about to happen to Eugene. You need to run. And she sees none of the signs because, of course, the real question is, is he actually a monster, you know? <laughs> or does he just have thoughts of being a monster? Like, that, you I, love the, secretary? <laughs> I love the interaction where she's like, what's that? And he says, duct tape. I need it for taping something. Taping something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's got the, he's got the one uh, chick's head in the... He's got his one chick's head in the, dry, in the uh, refrigerator. <laughs> Honestly, I think one of the funniest things that I, I wanted to mention, I forgot, was that there is a restaurant called Dorcia in Florida. Nice. And their, and their Yelp review page is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Only people talking about here. Let me try to pull one up. Of course. I mean, it would have to be. There's no way in the age of the internet you could get away with something like that. <laughs> here we go. I, the owners, I think, did it on purpose, though, obviously. Oh, of course they did, yeah. Uh, here let me pull up some of these reviews but yeah it's and the whole thing of Dorsey like it's one of those when you once you've seen the movie and you've seen like what a cult classic it really is the line of hey nobody goes there anyway it's anywhere nobody goes there anymore it's it's one of those things that like as like with a group of friends you just end up saying after you've all seen the movie you know it's like oh why don't we go to PJ's or whatever and nobody goes there anymore you know <laughs> that's one of my one line that I totally forgot about, but I just think it's hilarious is, hey, I'm a child of divorce. Give me a break. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, JR, let's hear some reviews of Dorsey. All right. So some people give it like a five-star review and rave, but and just quote the movie the entire time. Right. But this one dude gave it one star. I called the restaurant to see if they could make a last-minute reservation. I know it was a little late, but I asked, but I asked if it was possible to reserve a table for two at eight or eight thirty, perhaps. What happened next was unbelievable. The man just started laughing at me maniacally. How rude. I just want to fit in. Ended up going to Barcadia. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so great. Or text Arcana. That Paul Allen was able to swing a reservation at Dorsey on a Friday night. I was on the verge of tears. In addition to this, I got a weird that he had landed the Fisher gig, but that's another story altogether. After all, <laughs> he was into the whole Yale thing. Nevertheless, great sea urchin ceviche. Like that's, that's right. All, you know. That is literally every single review is about Dorcia. After months, so possibly even a solid year of trying to make a reservation, I found myself seated in a far corner booth at Dorcia, surrounded by the finest hot bodies and polo club members in Manhattan. <laughs> like, it, 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 it's, it's fantastic. It's, yeah, and that's that's one of the lines that Bateman has when they go to, um, I think it's Texarkana or whatever one of the restaurants is. is it's like, I'm afraid we're there too late and we'll get a terrible table, but I'm wrong. And relief washes over me in an awesome wave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's such a good line. Just the way that Bale like delivers it, you're like, "Yep, that's the perfect way to say that line." You know? <laughs> yeah. But the, the movie is the epitome of first world problems. <laughs> oh well, and that's the whole point of it. Yeah. The whole point of it is that look at these white motherfuckers with no problems, and especially, and you get that literally in a little speech by Bale. When he does the what's there more what's more important than whatever, and he goes on about you know apartheid and the atrocities wherever, and like making sure that we do like clean up you know oil spills or whatever the fuck, like 
he has that whole rant and they're kind of looking at him like jesus baby what the fuck and it's like well that whole thing was rehearsed and any of these dudes would have said that in the same situation just to appear like they give a shit you know (laughs) it's all it's all just a performance and that's kind of the whole point of Patrick Bateman. It's all just a performance, and he's not even a real person, per se. He has all the aspects of a real person. He has blood, flesh. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's that's the, his whole thing. There's no discernible personality. I don't feel emotions. All that kind of, This confession has meant nothing, of course, at the end and all. And that's the thing. Like, did any of this happen? It did did anyone even know who Patrick Bateman is? They keep thinking he's Halberstrang. You know? Is he even Patrick Bateman? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, that's the biggest question. And the best, and I think Bale's performance is what really does sell it because he's so generic yet so specific at the same time. It's like he's actually Bateman as well. He's so both. He's so very specifically psycho and specifically this uppie, like yuppie asshole. But at the same time, he's very much a generic yuppie asshole. You know, it's like it's this weird balancing act that he does with this performance. And without Bale's performance, I'm not sure the twist at the end with the confession and and being like, oh, Pat, or with the whole, did it actually happen? Is he actually Patrick Bateman? Without Bale's performance, I think the movie falls apart on that. I don't think this movie is even remembered if there's no if there's no Christian Bale. I don't think anybody gives a shit about this movie. Especially not enough to make a sequel with Mila Kunis, who is just one of the worst movies you'll ever see because it's not even kind of related to this it's it's just a slasher flick basically <laughs> it's just her killing people and yeah, they kill I, off Patrick I have not seen that movie but i have like i've seen the poster oh it's got a 3.8 out of 10 on imdb mila so, kunis herself is like on record as saying it's the worst thing she's ever done and there's no reason that she should have ever done it <laughs> best part about that movie it's directed by a guy named morgan j freeman <laughs> there you go. Yeah, talk about uh, talk about coming up with a stage name people might want to remember. Add <laughs> that, that initial, or else you're seeing the lawsuit. <laughs> Ross, can I tell you how the so Ross's video is out to the audience? Yes, it and is. I'm just very upset that I can't stare at him menacingly while I sip from my giant glass. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> but the picture you can look at is of shirtless Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. That's what... it's the smallest photo I've ever seen. And... Right. I don't know why it's so small. It's this weird thumbnail. I don't know why it's like that. But yeah, my video crapped out at the very beginning. I don't know what happened. And I haven't been able to get it back up. But and I can't I stare at him we... menacingly while That's right. Yeah. out of my Mickey Mouse crazy straw. Mike has been trying to intimidate JR through a video with his giant brandy snifter and his uh, crazy straw. Yeah, I'm very intimidated. I'm, I'm, I'm wetting my pants. <laughs> I say, JR just keeps not noticing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but so I think that's a good place to stop. Um, JR, hey, man, thanks for coming back on. It's been a while. The Keanu cast was great. It's been far too long. Yeah, I think we're about a year, about a year since we. Almost, yeah been that long wow well it's been that long since you were on our show we were on the mcm podcast back in uh december yeah you were on the podcast that i am no longer on yeah we were we were on that other guy's show that other guy's show that douchebag max we don't want to mention that guy he wears his crocs all the time and And he brings light on a beer podcast (laughs) he wears his where's his gold chain over his hold on hold on on. what's worse bud light on a beer podcast or uh Earl Grey tea on a beer podcast. Bud Light. Bud Light. Earl Grey tea is closer <laughs> to beer. It's absolutely Bud Light. <laughs> but so anyway, but 
it's been far too long. We're glad you came back on. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. It's been a good Thanks, pal. <laughs> if you do an anime-themed podcast, I will recommend movies that Ross might like. Come we on probably where will. we talk Demon Slayer. Yeah, that'll probably yeah. come up too. And it'll, I'll, I'll, on that one, since that whole theme is going to essentially be like recommends, like, you know, you got to watch this kind of thing. You're only having them watch the movie, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be. I'll probably be watching that. But uh, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's anime is one of those things where it's like, I don't necessarily dislike it for what it is. It's just what I've seen doesn't appeal to me, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, maybe I just haven't seen the right stuff. I mean, is do you think that more action oriented stuff is what you'd be, be more appeal to, or more realistic human stories that don't aren't like far fetched? I kind of like. I don't know. It's weird because I kind of like a mix of both, but something's got to come out of like it's something's got to shock me. Like I'm expecting because it's Japanese. Like I'm, I'm expecting like a J horror aspect. Like there's something with J horror. Like you're watching like oh this is fine. Then you're watching some like audition. You're like oh this is kind of creepy. Yeah, this is, I'm this not. Okay. I'm not. I'm on record as not being a huge fan of Attack on Titan, but that might be what is for Ross. Yeah, he might like, yeah, but yeah, like Attack on Titan, but it's it's a long investment of time, and you know, depending on how how they choose to go about it, I don't know how 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 satisfactory the ending is going to be. Well, it's um, the thing, like with like I said, with like Jay Hart, it's kind of like. Hey, I'm watching Audition. This is fun. This is creepy. Holy shit! This is insane. I'm never gonna forget this. I'm gonna have nightmares the rest of my life. Like I'm kind of re- yeah, like well, I'm kind of expecting you- that with anime. You know, I like I want something like that. Like I want something memorable. And, uh, and Studio Ghibli is almost like generic to me. It's like okay, this is your entry level anime. I need something advanced. I need. I'm I'm ready to take the next step into you know black belt level. You know, it's like just throw me in the ring. I, I'm fine. I'll, I'll get going. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know. You know what? You know what Ross might like whenever this comes out is the um, there's a there's a horror anime coming out called Uzumaki. It's Ooh. not going to be long, but it is like Japanese horror. You might like I'm that. Good. It hasn't come out yet, so. Yeah, I mean, I dug there. Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue was awesome. So like, there's also um, Dead Man Wonderland that he might enjoy. I have not That's the other thing. Like some of these names, like some of the titles, I'm like, all right, these titles sound cool. Oh wait, this is Dead, just weird. <laughs> De- yeah, Dead Man Wonderland. It's like a jail with people who have the power to control their blood, and it's filled with death games. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds. But the main character is a total bitch. Other than that, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it happens, you know. It happens. So, all right, so. Obviously, this podcast will continue on next week with our one uh, actor, two performances. And, of course, we're talking about New Jersey's own Danny DeVito next week. And we will be talking about Twins and Hercules. Um, so we're going to be we're going to be get, we're going to be diving back into. Obviously, we're going to be talking about two of our, our our more, I guess, favorite episodes of the podcast, Disney. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. So we're going to be talking. It's about time we're talking to Vito too. Like we brought him up so much. We literally have half half of our episodes. We somehow integrate Danny DeVito into a movie. Yeah, this might become, this episode might become the DeVito cast. Kind of like we talked up Keanu until we had JR for the Keanu cast. But like this might become the DeVito cast. Because who knows? We Tyler might find, is going to be on for the DeVito cast. I was going to say we might find uh, we might find Tyler, dig him out of whatever uh, whatever <laughs> hole we, we we put him into after uh, his last time on the show. So we'll we'll open his gimp his gimp closet and we'll let him back out for the DeVito. <laughs> one. 
no guys all right <laughs> but so yeah like i said we'll be doing twins and uh hercules next week so jr thanks again buddy yeah thank you for having me on hey no problem anytime and as always i have been ross bacon we didn't we didn't say where people could find us right? oh that's right i forgot <laughs> okay mike for everyone streaming i guess we'll say pleasure in quotes where can they find us on the internet <laughs> You can find us for your streaming pleasure on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and just about anywhere else because of Anchor. Um, you can also find us on social media at Instagram and Facebook at Happy Hour Films Podcast. Give us a like, give us a follow, shoot us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and I've noticed that um, my podcast player of choice on my phone, uh, Player FM, has uh, our listening count has gone up on that as well, which is pretty cool. So I'm glad. And it's also at 69 nice <laughs> so um i mean people obviously people are finding that through uh some means but that's great that they are and I'm, we're glad you guys are listening and we um we appreciate it and obviously we're going to keep throwing shit out there and if you want to keep listening we're obviously going to encourage that so now to officially end the show before i forget some other major parts of the show that we need to do <laughs> so i have been ross bacon i've been mike mcguigan and we'll see you guys next time so long <laughs>